Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday, the 19th of June. Well, coming up in today's show, I have an interview with one of my entrepreneurial heroes, uh, none other than Jason Calacanis, who is the CEO of Mahalo.com, his new startup business, uh, but perhaps most well-known, currently at least, for the uh, the fact that he launched one of the first blogging networks um, in the world, uh, Weblogs Inc., uh, the 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 organisation, the, the the business that came up with Engadget, uh, the world's most read blog, I believe. So, uh, two interviews from uh, across the Atlantic, so to speak. Ben Kaznoko last week, uh, Jason Calacanis this week, but I, I couldn't resist the temptation of catching up with Jason uh, in London last week at the NMK Forum. Uh, and thanks to NMK for putting on the event. Really, really great event. Thanks to Zoe Black for uh, the invite. Uh, really, really enjoyable, um, and it was great to meet up with Jason. So I hope you enjoy uh, the interview coming up. Uh, I'll also have the uh, sort of roundup of a few comments that were left on the blog. Uh, the f- music at the end of the show has attracted a lot of uh, a lot of attention and discussion last week, which is good. As did Ben's interview. Uh, I think people enjoyed the the randomness uh, discussion. How randomness plays a part in in in, bu- in building or in in innovation in business. So um, that was quite interesting too. So I'll come to comments at the end of the show after the interview with Jason. And also, I just wanted to say a quick word. I'm kind of becoming a kind of social network butterfly. Uh, Facebook is all a rage at the moment in terms of uh, of people commenting. Um, It's kind of uh, a bit like the, the, the... the tipping point and or well that's no, not really a tipping point because facebook's had millions and millions of users but uh, in terms of discussions in the blogosphere there's an awful lot going on at the moment um a bit like twitter a few months back and i've joined facebook and i do really really like it um in some ways i like it better than ning and so if you are a listener and you are on facebook uh, or you'd like to join up on Facebook, um, do check it out. Uh, come and say hello. Uh, I've set up a, a little group there for Small Biz Pod, so uh, do join that on the Facebook site if you're able to. Okay, so let's go straight into that interview with Jason Calacanis. Right, I'm um, at the NMK Forum, and I'm really delighted because uh, I'm sitting next to Jason Calacanis. Now, yeah, in the stairwell. <laughs> in the stairwell. This is the beauty of podcasting in... Uh, you know, it's it's grab somebody anywhere, anytime for a yeah. chat. Now, this guy um, is a he's an entrepreneur I respect a lot. I'm going to flatter his ego to begin with. Hopefully, well, then then, I, then I'm going to then I'm going to really give him a hard questions. time. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, he, he founded Weblogs Inc. Yep. Uh, basically, he's one of the one of the first people to 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 really make a business go of of a blogging network. It was the first blogging network, is that right? Yeah, I think it was the first blogging network. Nick Denton was making a business of two blogs at the time, Gawker and Gizmodo, I believe. And uh, so he had two blogs, but we were the first to come out and say, we're going to build a network. And uh, then he sort of started to build more blogs as well. So I'd say Weblogs, Inc. was the first network, but certainly Nick Denton was first to the space in terms of commercializing blogging. 
Yeah, yeah. And then before that, you were you basically a sort of publisher. You, you yeah. set up your own um, yeah. uh, Silicon Alley. Yeah. I had a six or seven year run running Silicon Alley Reporter from 96 to 2001, um, which was a print publication, email newsletter conferences, and run that, that business got up to $12 million a year with uh, about 60, 70 employees. So it was a big business and then came crashing down. And uh, we renamed it Venture Reporter and sold it to Dow Jones uh, eventually when we had 15 employees. So learned a lot of lessons when the bubble burst last time. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of, you really have been there, done it, got the t-shirt. But more important than that, certainly as far as I'm concerned, is that you, you, you do your own podcast. You're a bit of a podcasting hero for me because you did appear in one of my all-time favorites, which was the Gilmore Gang. Now, this is all getting very geeky for, for my audience, right. for which I apologize. But yeah. let's get on to, let's get on to, um, your latest, uh, venture. Yep. You're actually, Having moved on from World of Inc., just to fill in the history for those who don't know, and, and some in the UK yeah. might not, um, you then moved on to AOL and yeah. managed Netscape, yeah. which you left in November this year to yeah. set up uh, your new business, which is Mahalo.com, yeah. which is in essence a new kind of search engine. Tell us about what that is and why you set it up. Well, anybody who's uh, used a search engine lately, and even for the last five or six years, knows that uh, the quality of search results is going down. And they may not know why that is, but um, they, it's pretty clear that there's a lot of garbage on the Internet, a lot of spam, a lot of mediocre sites, you know, sites that are not great but not terrible. And uh, there's even more good information out there. So when you search, it's, it can be quite frustrating in certain categories, health, travel, products, uh, entertainment. And so what we realized was if uh, a human being went through the search results, and organized them and thought about, gee, you're searching for iPod, what would your next five searches be? Oh, iPod accessories, iPod problems, iPod competitors, iPod software, etc., uh, iPod headphones, iPod speakers, whatever. Uh, and they organized all that information and told you what the top five or six links were per category. Those pages would be very valuable, and they could really compete well with Google's uh, or Yahoo's and the obvious limitation is Google can do every single page on the internet and they can go incredibly deep. You can get to page 100, but when did you ever get past page two or three on Google? Probably mm -hmm. never. Mm -hmm. And um, so what we're trying to do is one page on the internet with the top 30, 40, 50 results, and that's it. And then let the public tell us what we made uh, mistakes on and what we shouldn't have included and what we should have included and then debate it with us. So basically like a, a Wikipedia of search. And, uh, you know, today at the conference we announced that we're going to let the public write search results and pay them if we accept them. So, mm. you know, somebody at home, if we haven't done the search result, now we've done iPod already, but if we haven't done, you know, a certain printer or something like that or a certain medicine or a certain travel destination, the public could write it. We'll look at it, clean it up, make sure it's good, and then put it into the search engine and then pay them 10 or 15 bucks to do it and uh, so that's kind of exciting that's called the Mahalo Greenhouse so it's a human powered search service it's sort of not exactly an engine because it's all human powered so we're mm. calling it a search service it kind of a little bit reminiscent of Yahoo in the early days would you say? Absolutely. Um, you know, in the early days of Yahoo, they would handwrite the directory. Uh, and then after and about.com and uh, DMOZ, uh, there were a bunch of projects like this. They've all pretty much been given up on. And I think the reason people gave up on them in 98, 99, 2000 was because humans were expensive, the market crashed, and computers were doing a good job at search. 
But over the last five or six or seven years, everybody knows computers are not doing a good job at search because there's so much garbage out there. Mm. At the beginning of the Internet, the first five or six years, there was no bad information on the Internet. Now we all know there's a lot of bad and in some cases dangerous information. Phishing, where they steal your identity, spyware, adware, porn, uh, intermediary sites trying to intercept your credit card transactions when you're going to buy a hotel and charge you extra fees. And so there's a lot of garbage out there. And we basically eliminate that because a human being looking at a website can instantly tell if it's spam or not. Just mm. like when you open your email, if you get an email from some weird address that tells you you've made, you know, uh, you've got an inheritance waiting for you somewhere in Africa for $8 yeah. million, dollars, you know it's <laughs> bogus uh, yeah. as much as you want to believe it. So um, humans can play a role. But we're only going to be able to do the top 25,000 searches or so. So, uh, you, you created a bit of a storm at Netscape. Um, and, yeah. and I don't know, I haven't looked at the, I haven't looked at the, uh, uh, the blogs and, and other places uh, since you, you uh, launched uh, your, 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 the announcement today about paying people. You quipped earlier that you're going to, you know, it's a sort of a web 2.0 company that's going to patent paying people for work. Yeah. Uh, do you anticipate a lot of flack? No, I don't think so, because this time I actually prepared for it and I said, if you don't want to get paid, mm. if you absolutely insist that you should not receive money for work, and I know this is probably crazy for people listening, but um, there are some people who don't want to get paid for doing work. They consider it corrupting, I guess, or something, which mm. is fine. If I respect that. Um, then we'll donate their $10 or $15 for writing it to the Wikipedia. Yeah. And the Wikipedia really needs money for their servers and their bandwidth, you know, their big sites. So we feel like we can sort of um, resolve that issue in a way we didn't with Netscape. And also at Netscape, the people who were really complaining were the Web 2.0 companies, that frankly mm. will pay the CEO, they'll pay the management team, the VCs make tons of money, the programmers make tons of money, the salespeople make tons of money, the people who sell the service and keep them running and make some money. The only people who don't make money are people making the content, yeah, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. You know, mm. um, I'm a writer and a journalist by trade, and so the idea that everybody gets paid except for the writer, or on Flickr, everybody gets paid except the photographer, or YouTube, everybody gets paid except the person making the video, mm. I find that uh, to be um, not necessarily offensive, but I don't think it should be the only solution. Now, if people want to do that, they're welcome to do it. But if people want to get paid to be a photographer, uh, they should be able to be paid. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And they shouldn't attack people who are photographers who want to get paid. That's just ridiculous. I guess some people would argue that money is for many people, unlike perhaps you or unlike perhaps me and unlike perhaps a lot of listeners, Money is not actually the key, the, the key motivation in the in the hierarchy of needs, and it, it is actually the recognition issue. Are you going to allow some kind of uh, public recognition for those writing uh, search pages for Mahalo? Yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't have to be both, right? I mean, people get paid to do a job, and they can do a good job at it. So, I mean, somebody could be a great fireman or policeman, uh, police person, and get paid, that doesn't mean they're any less heroic for running into a burning building. So that's mm. the fallacy of this argument. You know, you can get paid and be recognized and feel pride for your work. Uh, the people who have come up with this concept of, like, you can't get paid or you lose credibility are the people who are trying to become billionaires running Web 2.0 startups, and we should all disregard what they're saying because they're liars. Uh, you know, the, the fact is uh, there's no problem with getting recognition and pay, and if you don't want the pay, you don't have to take it. So, you know, why not reward people for doing hard work if they have a mortgage to pay, if they have kids to put in school? Yeah. I mean, it's really a Silicon Valley elitist, pompous, uh, hypocritical position, I believe. And it makes me very unpopular in Silicon Valley. But if you look, uh, history is proving me correct. 
uh, you know, uh, YouTube, instead of losing their top users, is starting to split revenue with them. So they've realized it. Flickr may realize it at some point and decide they're going to split advertising revenue with people uh, or you know, become a stock uh, photography outlet. So people are realizing it's not sustainable to expect people to work for five, six hours a day and not pay them unless they happen to be rich. Mm. Um, uh, and somebody who's a casual user can operate in the same system and not get paid. So if you use Flickr for one hour a month, maybe you shouldn't get paid. Maybe you don't want to get paid. But if you use it for five hours a day and you're putting up five hours worth of photos a day, maybe you want to get paid. Maybe Flickr should put Google AdSense next to your pictures and let you take half the mm. revenue. What would the harm be in that? Ultimately, it's about rewarding talent, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that what we've done is we've decided we're going to reward technological talent and not creative talent. Mm. And that's why I say I think it's very hypocritical and pompous of you know, Silicon Valley type people uh, to say, oh, the editors and the writers can't get paid. It's, it's a really ridiculous position they have. Let's move on um, away from the kind of the product. Yeah. Um, to, 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 to you, the entrepreneur, you, uh, yep. for those that listen to you, read your blog and listen to your, listen to your podcast, uh, there was the, the mystery Project X, Project which, X, which we now know about, of course. But, but what was it, what's it like for an entrepreneur like yourself? What kind, of, what kind of buzz are you on at the moment having launched your third startup? Because I mean, you're obviously yeah. a serial entrepreneur. Are you addicted to this stuff? Yeah, I'm definitely addicted. <laughs> um, you know, after the last company, I, I did okay. I was going to take a year or two off. I was thinking maybe I'll travel for a year. And then I was like, oh, I have a good idea. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a really good idea. Yeah. And so I started talking to people. And they said, oh, that's a really good idea. Can we give you a bunch of money? And, yeah. you know, let's, let's grow it and see how it goes. And mm -hmm. so we raised two rounds of financing. So I'm afraid I've just bought myself a job for five or six years <laughs> at a minimum. So, um, but I love it. I love what I do. Going to work every day for me is... I kind of pinch myself every day because I'm like, this really isn't work. Going in, yeah. I used to play with computers when I was a kid for free. Now I get paid to do it. Yeah. And I love building projects. I love trying to you know, you know, help solve problems and stuff like that. I think search is a huge problem. So if I can help solve it with my team, uh, great. And if we can all you know, be rewarded for doing that, that's the way it should be. You mentioned your team. What have you learned over the years about building teams? Um, hire great people. Support the hell out of them. Make it very clear what the mission is. Repeat that over and over again. Support the hell out of them. Yeah. Stay out of their way. Uh, and if they're not the right person, don't try to help them. Just fire them. Because, you know, you, you, when you're doing a business like this, you can't play psychologist. You can't try to help people. You can't try to mm -hmm. change them. I, I, people do change, but it might take five years or ten years to change them. And when you're in a business and you're a CEO or the entrepreneur... You don't have a PhD in psychology. You don't know how to change them. So I've actually, in some ways, become extremely cutthroat on one side. I will mm. not tolerate having the wrong person at the company. But in another way, I've become really soft in that I trust people who I hire and who I really like, and I just support the hell out of them and say, you can work any hours you want. You can work from wherever you want. Kick ass. I'll get you whatever you need. What computers do you need? What you know? I buy everybody lunch. I get them the best benefits. So I've become sort of a softy when it comes to yeah. the employees that I do have. Yeah. But I look back on my past and I say, gosh, I should have fired these like <laughs> 10 people just immediately. Yeah. And you know, you get that sense as an entrepreneur, yeah. this isn't going to work out. When you yeah. have that sense it's not going to work out, it's definitely not going to work out. Yeah. Get rid of them and yeah. just say, you know what, this isn't a match. And if the person cries or gets upset about it, it's 
it, you know, whatever. It's it's in their best interest to get out of there. Yeah. Because it's not going to work out. Particularly in a startup scenario. A startup is like, you know, trying to do psychotherapy when you're at war, you know. <laughs> if you're in Vietnam and you're in a trench somewhere and you're fighting, you don't want the person next to you being like, I don't know if I want to carry this gun. I might want a different gun. Or, yeah. you know, I don't know if you appreciate me enough. Or I should be have a better title. I should be the sergeant, not the private. I mean, you can't get into that nonsense no, in the middle no. of the war. No. And if somebody no. brings up those topics while you're in the fight and they want to negotiate their deal or they want to, you know, uh, you know, be in charge of other people or get a better title or their business cards aren't good enough or they want a bigger office. I mean, anybody who's into that petty nonsense, just mm. fire them immediately because that's not what it's about. It's about building a product and doing whatever it takes to build it and coming to work every day and bringing your A game and just busting ass. That's what startups are about. And so I tell everybody when I hire them, you're coming here, you're here to bust your ass, to make a great product, to beat all the competitors and to change the world. If you're not signing up for that, you know, tell me now. But if you are signing up for it, you have to do it with 100% of your effort. There is absolutely no negotiating that point. So don't come to me six months in or a year in and say, oh, this is too much work or whatever. Just quit. Mm. But I can't you know, sit here and negotiate your deal with you or you know, change the fact that a startup is a certain way. And you know, some people join startups and they don't realize how intense it's going to be. Mm. Mm. And then I tell them, like, we, we're working tonight or we're working this weekend. Or like for launching the greenhouse here, I had people working for – you know, this is after launch. We worked for 10 straight days to get this ready for this event. Mm. So they got like two days off after launch and then had 10 intense days, no days off on the weekend. They were up till two in the morning last night, you know, making sure everything was working. So, But that's kind of the excitement of working for a startup, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it's, it, it is if you're into it. Yeah. But if you're not into it and your spouse is saying, why are you working so hard and mm. you're not getting paid enough and you have other people offering you jobs for more money and, you know, you don't care about the value of the stock options, then, you know, you know people's head go to different places. And sometimes people will say yes to a job and then they get in there and they don't want to do it, mm. but they're afraid to quit. And that's where mm. as a CEO you have – it's your job. It's, it, it's your – purpose to fire them because they're not courageous enough to quit yeah. and so I've become cutthroat with it if somebody is not working out I assume it will not work out and I fire them immediately I don't have any patience for trying to work with people or try to help them see the light or you know bring them along I basically why should I when I could get other people who are motivated and give that spot to somebody who's motivated to yeah. kick ass yeah. And that's the way you have to think about it always. When somebody in your organization is failing and they're not really into it, think about, okay, what if I got somebody who was really into it and was really competent and was working hard? Mm. And just imagine you're getting that huge swing. So you have, you know, if somebody was a five, you know, and you, there's somebody out there who's a 10, you know, it's a big swing, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. especially if they're yeah. motivated. So if they're not, I mean, yeah. that's the end of the day, you know, at a startup company. It really is about motivation, positivity, what's, you know. What's your strike rate? I mean, in terms of finding the right people. I think, you know, these days I, I'm really good. Probably eight or nine out of ten I find the right people. In the old days, it was probably five, six, or seven. Okay. So, you know, you get a little bit better. I mean, you, and also people change. So, you know, somebody might... Uh, all of a sudden realize I don't like doing this or I want to work for a big company where I can leave at 5 o'clock and go to the gym or mm. I would like to work somewhere where I get my own office and I can go you know, fly in first class around the world to events and not work so hard. And if that happens, you just have to have a frank talk with them. And so I actually tell people, if ever this job is not working out for you, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Just let me know because you don't have to be here. It's back to the transparency thing. But let's move on to... Yeah. Um, let's move on to... Obviously... You're actually working as entrepreneur in residence, or are you yeah. now, uh, for Sequoia? 
Yeah, I, I was in December, and yeah. uh, that was a little bit of a, a cover for what I was doing. Okay. I was actually building the building Mahalo, so yeah. I basically knew that I was going to build Mahalo. We struck the deal in December, and I basically said, you know what? Let's just call me an entrepreneur in residence okay. so yeah. that people don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And people won't suspect I'm doing something. They'll suspect I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. So I sort of put a front out there that I was looking for a project. and But I did help them. I brought them deals. And I still bring Sequoia deals. And I still support them and you know, look at their existing companies and give advice where I can. And uh, I introduce a lot of entrepreneurs to them because there's a lot of entrepreneurs who maybe don't think that they can get money from Sequoia because it's such a – you know. Um, respected and successful firm mm -hmm. but the fact is you know the entrepreneurs they want to meet are probably the ones who feel intimidated in some cases by sequoia's track record so what i do is i tell people don't don't be intimidated go see them go talk yeah. to them they're good people yeah. and they are i mean they've supported me tremendously so you know it's, it's just great to work with the best firm in the world you, you got funding for five years yeah, we've raised enough money to go for five or six years without making money. I mean, I'm pretty, good, we're pretty good at making money, so I don't yeah. think I think it, it basically means that I think we have enough money to get this way past profitability. Okay, you know? and and the, the the business model in terms of profitability is advertising, search advertising is the greatest advertising ever created in the history of marketing. Google Ads. Well, we have Google AdSense up there already. If you do a search for Corvette, you'll see it at the bottom. So we're already starting to play with Google AdSense, and uh, we'll have some tighter integration of it. And when we don't have a search result, we give you Google, and we get 50, whatever Google gives, like two-thirds of it to us, 65 cents on every dollar. They don't publish it. but So, yeah, we, um, we run Google AdSense already. We use Google Search uh, for AdSense, and it's a great program, and they're a great partner. Uh, eventually, we might sell some direct ads, but I'm not going to worry about that till no, year two. No. Now, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I guess any entrepreneur, any VC is always interested in what the, what the exit is, uh, I guess. Do you as an entrepreneur think about the exit before you start or do you just get on with building the business? You can't think about the exit. Um, that's like thinking about like the final moment when you, you know, final <laughs> seconds of a basketball game or a, you know, football yeah. match or something. Yeah. You really don't, it's dangerous to think about that, even if you're confident you'll get to it. What I try to do is build a really sustainable business in a very big and growing market. Because you can't pick the exit, because you don't know there's too many variables. But what you can pick is what market you go into and who you bring onto your team. So I like to focus on the variables I can control. So I constantly try to recruit the best investors, yeah. the best employees and team members and build the best product. Those are the things that are in my control. Mm. If you do that, you build a great team with great investors behind you and a great product, you don't have to worry about the exit. It'll happen. And so uh, Mahalo is a Google plugin. Well, I mean, everybody wants to make it Mahalo versus Google, oh. and it's kind of silly because if you look at how we've structured the site, we will give you our result if we have it, and if we don't, we give you Google, and we are never going to get past you know, a certain number of searches, a third maybe, who knows what number we get to. So I don't really feel we're competitive with Google. We're not going to do a Google AdSense competitor, which is 99% of their revenue. So yeah. I think what will happen is people, some group of people might go to Google as their primary and us for special searches. Um, some people might come to us for everything and fall back to Google for two-thirds of the searches. But I think there's enough for us to make a living, and for every dollar we make, Google gets a large percentage of it. So yeah, I they mean, love what we're doing. I mean, I very much see it as a complementary service, and you could, almost, you could almost see Mahalo and Google running on the same page. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there is it's a very astute observation. I mean, 
part of my premise with the company is that humans can do a better job at certain things and machines can do a better job at other things. So if you're looking for the pizzeria on the corner, we're not going to have it probably unless it's a famous pizzeria. Mm. Uh, if you're looking for your friend who went to college or university with, we're not going to have them unless maybe they're famous now. Uh, so for Google, uh, you know, you, you would use Google for those searches, and Google would work brilliantly. You'd get, you mm, know, your mm. your college roommate and university roommate in the first yeah. two results, their MySpace page, or you'd get your pizzeria in the first result. But if you type flat panel TV into Google, or you type Paris vacation, you know what you get. It's yeah. going to be yeah. a lot of craziness, and it's not Google's fault. It just happens to be too much information out there, and humans can, you know, curate information. Machines can't. So I, it is a plug-in. It is complimentary. I, uh, we're partners with Google already, so I don't think, you know, as much as people want to make this like Mahalo versus Google, oh, no, it's kind of silly. No. Yeah, no, I, a forty-person startup in Santa Monica versus like a four-thousand-person <laughs> startup that's got fifty billion dollars. You know, mind you, that's what probably people said about Google when Alta Vista was number one. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep my position on that. Okay, uh, Jason, you've spent a long time talking to me, and I much appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks. Well, that was uh, an enjoyable interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed uh, doing it. Uh, Jason Jason is kind of uh, never one to uh, shortchange you on the interview stakes. Always something interesting, controversial, lively to say. And uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of other stuff that could have, could have talked about in terms of, sort of entrepreneurship. And maybe we can get uh, Jason back on the show some point in the future when he's a little less busy to talk about... Uh, some other stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. Uh, but let's go on to now some uh, comments from listeners. If you want to comment on the show, don't forget you can email me at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. You can call one of the numbers on the site on the contact form uh, to leave a message on the answer machine and, I, machine and I'll play your your comment on the show. Or, as uh, lots of people suddenly did this week, uh, you can leave a message on the Small Biz Pod blog in the comments section. Uh, Martin Dooley uh, commented to say, great show as ever, uh, talking about the Ben Kaznoka interview. I just wanted to say this is the first time I didn't see notifications of a new podcast on various business forums. Uh, Nearly missed it, or nearly missed a good show because of it. Uh, Yeah, I still keep uh, I, I do when I get an opportunity put some you know notify people on the forum so uh, uh, as uh, just got a little bit sh- cut short of a time uh, there Martin but um, I will continue to do so within the bounds of forum etiquette and then I also had a, a comment from uh, Dax who says uh, hi Alex uh, Dax if you remember is from India and he says great show and thanks for the quick message special word for the fantastic one-off song for the summer uh, music track a nice change and up and running on my mp3 player looking forward to hearing more such tracks in the coming weeks uh yeah cooper a uh, quite well-known band who incidentally have gone into the uk charts at something like number 12 i think thanks to a lot of play by podcasters so i was one of those so small biz pods helped play its part in getting an unknown band up the official uk charts. so that's really really cool uh one-off song for the summer is a really excellent track I will, however, as there has been much discussion, be returning to uh, my usual realm of uh, electronica and techno uh, for the immediate future. But uh, I may well throw in some 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 unusual uh, cho- music choices uh, uh, down the line. And hey, if you've got a track that you like that's pod safe, uh, send it to me and uh, maybe I'll play it. And then a comment from Karen who says, thanks for another thought-provoking show, Alex. I think the randomness aspect that Ben mentions 
is a very good one as great ideas can come from an intersection of needs, gaps in different life areas and markets. Also, there's a possibility of being stuck in a rut and seeing things from the one same perspective, perspective, especially if you see the same people, read the same blogs day in, day out. So definitely do something different whenever you can. Uh, by the way, I like the closing electronica tracks, so don't substitute them all with pop. So there you go. Music, music as ever, provoking debate, possibly more than the entrepreneurship. But thanks also, um, Karen, for your comments about the, the about randomness. Um, and I agree uh, with you. Do something different. Uh, shake things up a bit. Or even just uh, go away for a break. Just, you know, go and do some sailing or lie on a beach or do something completely different. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have the have their best thoughts when they are about work when they're away from work, strangely. So there we are. Uh, that is just about it. Apart from the, the couple of people who signed up to the Frapper map, uh, first off, Alison Lowndes, who uh, founded and runs a volunteering business or uh, agency called AVIF, uh, which is basically a vol- volunteering organization for Kenya. Um, very worthwhile. I know she's putting in a lot of hard work, a kind of social uh, social entrepreneurship going on there. So uh, good luck with that, Alison. And um, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, AVIF uh, volunteering. And then also had an email and also uh, he put his pin in the Frapper map from um, a guy at... Uh, he hasn't left his name, actually. I've got his name somewhere, but he's anyway, he's at Small Biz Setup. He's in Albany in New York, and he says he enjoys the podcast. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, his new site, which looks quite cool if you're a startup. Okay. Now, that is just about it for today's show, apart from the music. And uh, in a return to my electronica roots, um, I'm really pleased to play this excellent track by ID Monster. It's called Charlie's Orbit, and with many thanks from to the uh, net label Monotonic. Thank <laughs> you. 